X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday, August 13th. Today, back in the day, the 2nd Regiment, Oregon U.S. Volunteer Infantry, took part in the surrender of the Spanish Army in Manila on August 13th, 1898. The regiment had provided the first U.S. Army unit to land at the Philippines and the first unit to enter the walled city of Manila. It was the first time members of the Oregon National Guard fought on foreign soil. When the U.S. war with Spain ended three days later, the regiment took up provost guard duty, playing the role of police in the city of Manila. The Battle of Manila left American forces in control of the center of the city, surrounded by Philippine revolutionary forces. This created the conditions for the Battle of Manila of 1899 and the start of the Philippine-American War. And while the war with Spain came to an end, in February 1899, the Philippine-American War broke out. For practical purposes, the fall of Manila brought an end to the Spanish-American War in the Philippines. That war ended in 1902. And that is a day back in the day for another day. Also today, back in the day, August 13, 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower signed Public Law 588, which terminated Oregon tribes, including the Siletz, Grand Ronde, Coquille, Coos, Laura Umpqua, and Sayusla, on August 13, 1954. We'll start with the Quick 6 News headlines, and we'll have part two of our interview with Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. And in particular, we'll go in-depth to discuss the new ballot measure that will be heading to the Portland ballot this November. X-Ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Dan Ryan is indeed elected city commissioner of the city of Portland. Dan Ryan won over Loretta Smith by roughly 5,400 votes. He will now serve the rest of Nick Fish's term until 2022. Nick Fish, a friend of ours and so many, died in January of abdominal cancer. Dan Ryan, the former director of the educational nonprofit All Hands Raised, was a member of the Portland Public School Board from 2005 to 2008. He's the third Portland City Commissioner to be openly a part of the LGBTQIA community and the first commissioner who is HIV positive. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty campaigned hard to defeat Loretta Smith, her previous opponent in her own city council race, and Hardesty was the centerpiece of Dan Ryan's main television commercial. During his time in office, he hopes to increase resources for homelessness and lead a ballot measure change to the current police oversight system. Here's Commissioner-elect Ryan with our recent interview. I just love developing new relationships um, because relationships move at the speed of trust. And the reason I, I'm in this thing is because over the years, in spite of being an outsider and not being a political insider, and therefore a lot of people not giving me a shot, I built so many relationships in the city. And I'm excited to bring those relationships to City Hall because I know a lot of people that get you know what done in this town that have felt completely excluded from City Hall for a while. And so stop the smugness, Portland. We don't know everything. Like, get over it. And let's, like, figure out how to be humble and come together and, and build forward. Your daily dose of coronavirus data, 258 new cases in Oregon yesterday. The health authority also reports seven new deaths. We have now crossed 22,000 cases in the state. 10% of those people are aged 10 to 19. The age group with the most cases so far are people in their 20s. 22% of Oregon cases attributed to that age group. Folks in their 30s and 40s each make up about 17% of COVID-19 cases. Geographically, by the way, 45 new cases in Multnomah County, 41 in Washington County, 3rd in Umatilla County, and 24 in Clackamas. Protesters in Bend surrounded ICE buses to intercept an arrest. Early in the morning, about 5.45, two men were detained by ICE and put onto buses. At around 1 p.m., one of the men called his wife. Shortly thereafter, the story had circulated on social media. Oregon residents found the buses, blocked them, refusing to move. 
Police officers arrived at the scene. Originally, they were in riot gear, but city councilor Gina Goodman Campbell requested they pull back. On Twitter, Ben Mayer, Sally Russell asked people to leave the scene. Here's her quote. I've been informed that both men being detained have warrants out for their arrest. This is not a sweep for undocumented immigrants. One organizer proceeded to give the protesters the phone number of Mayor Russell. The ACLU did not have a legal observer present, but is in contact with local attorneys. More than 250 protesters were on hand by evening, many for at least five hours, and several told the News Channel 21, the local news station, they planned to remain there as long as they needed to. In other news, the ACLU has filed a lawsuit against ICE for Isidro Andrade Tofoyo, who claims he was racially profiled when he was arrested. Andrade Tofoyo claims he was exiting the Washington County Courthouse when agents in plain clothes asked for his and his wife's IDs. ICE claims they mistook his identity and it was not due to racial profiling. The lawsuit is seeking damages for humiliation, emotional distress, psychological harm. Earlier this year, the ACLU did file a claim for an internal DHS investigation, which DHS then denied. Governor Kate Brown has filed a friend of the court brief calling for a redistricting initiative to be capped off the November ballot. We've been covering this. Listeners of the local are aware of Initiative Petition 57. It's a potential ballot measure which aims to shift the redistricting system from a once-in-a-decade effort in the legislature to a 12-member commission. The initiative was required to get nearly 150,000 signatures. They fell well short of that and argued it was due to social distancing guidelines. Just the other day, the Supreme Court granted a stay pending the Ninth Circuit decision. The Ninth Circuit hears arguments today, Thursday. Recently, Governor Brown's administration wrote an amicus curiae brief, a friend of the court brief, arguing that she doesn't think that the stay-at-home order prevented the petition from gathering signatures and that the goalposts shouldn't be moved. As I said before, stay tuned, friends. We will be giving any updates on this story. Local doctors and parents are condemning Oregon's reopening measures. Governor Brown is closing the schools but has reopened bars and restaurants, and now over 150 doctors, physicians, have signed a letter criticizing that decision. All 150-plus of these physicians are also mothers. The letter accuses Governor Brown of prioritizing adults over children. Here's a quote. It is unconscionable to allow adults the freedom to go to bars, gyms, and social gatherings and other non-essential services at the cost of the education and safety of our children. This group of 150 doctors prefers a different reopening strategy. They refer to studies that state that case counts must be decreased before schools can open safely. And to do this, policymakers must aggressively reduce community transmission by shutting down non-essential gathering places like bars, restaurants, and gyms. And some good news. Multnomah Falls is reopened with some restrictions. Oregon's tallest waterfall will be reopening for public viewing in two phases. Phase one, which is now, visitations will be capped at 300 a day. Visitors will wait in a socially distanced line for admittance. That could be a pretty long line. I mean, no more than 300 people, but if they're six feet apart, I don't know. I could get to some number of 100 feet, 1,800 if they're all in line at the same time, because I can do six times 300. But they probably all won't be in line at the same time. There's something very Oregonian about the idea that the line to get to Multnomah Falls is going to feel like an Apple store and the launch of a new iPhone. Well, with bigger space in between the people waiting, that is. Phase two is set to begin in a few weeks. That'll include a ticketing system, which allows for 300 visitors per hour. The question is, if all 300 visitors are in line at once, if they are, and if they're six feet apart, maybe they won't be six feet apart, maybe they'll serpentine it some way. But even if they serpentine it, I guess the feet still count. It could be a line of over 1,500 feet, like 1,800 feet. There's 1,320 feet in a quarter mile, so there's a real chance there's a quarter mile long line. If you go, tell us what you see. Email the local at xray.fm. 
Be aware that face coverings will be required for both phases. And also be aware that the Benson Bridge viewpoint and the trail leading all the way up to the top, those will be closed indefinitely. Also be aware, sports fans, that the Blazers play the Nets tonight at 6 p.m. If we win, and I do say we when referring to Portland's basketball team, not due to my highly lucrative side career as a pass-first small forward, if we win, we are the eighth seed, we have a play-in set of two games, and all we have to do is win one of those two games to then play the Lakers in a seven-game series. And that would be fun, and we could use a little fun. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty joins the local with details on a new ballot measure presenting an independent review committee on Portland Police. Part two of our interview today includes more details on the ballot measure and the corresponding campaign. Here are DJ Ambush, Jefferson Smith, and Commissioner Hardesty. I can imagine the campaign that the Portland Police Association will put together to try to defeat your initiative. And I have to imagine that the centerpiece or one of the centerpieces of their argument will be essentially what the city auditor said, which is it's moving too fast. Why are you going so fast? Why didn't you put it through the charter review process? Why do we have to do this in 2020? This thing is going to be just three quarters baked. What do you say to the people who say it's too fast and it isn't yet properly figured out? I, I will repeat that every community oversight board that has been asked over the last two and a half decades, whether it goes back to uh, uh, Mayor Tom Potter's uh, uh, Blue Ribbon Task Force, whether it goes to the committee that Vera Katz put together uh, to reimagine police oversight, uh, whether it's the AMA coalition that brought the, um, the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division to come and investigate Portland police, um, every single community effort the number one thing they requested was a truly independent police oversight board with the ability to compel uh, testimony, with the with a budget, and with the ability to impose uh, a punishment. Um, and so it is. It, it's been thirty years in the making uh, for this last seven weeks. It's been just waiting for this seven weeks uh, for it to be realized. Um, I will also say that the Portland uh, Police Association will say that this is an illegal uh, proposal and they will say it's illegal because we still have to fix the arbitration portion of the bill and we will and we have time to do it. The good news is I had expected we would do it in a special session that just ended uh, today apparently. but it didn't. But there will be a, another special session I'm hearing that it is on the agenda for. And if it's not, so you're also the regular the session right? in January. Yes. You're talking right. about this is a statewide change. You're not allowed to do this. The mayor's yeah. not allowed to do this. That's right. no. This has change. to happen at the state level. And as you know, uh, as you know, Jefferson, the legislative process is an incremental process, right? So it's really hard to get big changes through the legislature in one fell swoop. And so we've been chipping away at it the last couple of legislative sessions. But that will happen before this measure uh, takes effect. And the second thing will be the new Portland Police uh, Union contract. That will also be resolved before this takes effect. So uh, none of the things that they will hold up as examples of why it's illegal uh, is justified. And I will say both the city attorneys and outside attorneys have reviewed it thoroughly which is why we were very intentional about what would go in the charter, 
because that is the governance document for the city of Portland and what could be worked out through the ordinance uh, that comes later, right? Because everything shouldn't be in the charter, uh, but we wanted to make sure that the main points were. As you were working on this measure, are there any models from other cities that you looked at, that you examined? I did. I looked at several models. Um, I was very familiar with the Oakland model. Um, um, most of the truly independent oversights have come about uh, basically because of a Department of Justice uh, uh, investigation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are never something that police bureaus welcome, right? So the fight with Portland Police Association isn't unexpected and isn't unwelcome um, because I think they're doing a great job every single night explaining to the public why we need a community oversight board. So, uh, you know, I I think they're helping my case a lot. Um, The reality is, is that uh, this is something that every community who has experienced police violence has requested. Um, And again, we just have never had both the community will and the political will line up at the exact same time. Uh, Prior to this year, um, we would have been overwhelmed with people demanding that we give the police more money. Uh, that's what normally happens at city council because the police will go to neighborhood associations and scare uh, older homeowners uh, into demanding that they have more money. And that's the cycle that we've been in for quite some time. And because of the public narrative has shifted, so the veil has been lifted and people really see how police engage in ways that really are unnecessary. I mean, I I watch a lot of the um, live stream video and the level of aggression is just um, inappropriate. And we don't see any reflections of training in de-escalation or actually training in just not showing up, right? Sometimes the best thing the police can do is just not show up um, because they continue to create a heightened tension and fear among folks. But I also want to make sure that police are working on the issues the community wants them to work on. Um, You know, they want to work on a lot of stuff, but the increase in domestic violence, I'm very concerned that the police aren't putting an alarm out about that. They are putting an alarm out about bullets and the number of shootings, but they aren't able to make the coalition between the increase in domestic violence, um, uh, economic insecurity, uh, facing eviction, and, and the increase in shootings in general. Um, I asked the chief, give me data, show me data that says, because we just defunded. So less than six weeks, the gun violence reduction team has been defunded and all of a sudden shootings happen. Um, what, what happened in New York? What happened in uh, Atlanta? What happened in all the other big cities that are seeing the same increases? Uh, Anytime the economic uh, situation takes a nosedive, uh, those kind of situations, heightened tension goes up. It should not be a surprise to anybody. But the solution isn't more weapons on the street. The solution is uh, making people housing secure, keeping people in their homes, and honestly, keeping people fed. And your basic case is that a community is more safe if a community is healthier. That right. a community isn't just more safe if there's a greater threat of punishment. A community is more safe if, if a community is healthier. And that's going to be, that's one of the things that's going to be debated. I mean, it's been debated for years and can continue to yeah. be debated. And one thing that's going to be debated in the next 90 days is right. the power of this review board, if it's going to happen at all. Right. Uh, right. Why is the why is the city auditor so grumpy about it? It's People have been clamoring for, for a while, as you said. Yeah. Uh, you looked around at some other models. She yeah. did a 
very rare thing, which is give a press conference. I don't remember the last time she did one. If that way, it was her first right. one to disagree. What do you think it was that got her goat to such a degree? By the way, she did. She also opposed public financing of yes, yes. elections, right? So it's not, you know, there's sometimes progressive stuff she's she's yes. balked at. But I was wondering if you had any insight or even speculation. Well, I mean, I the auditor um, is a very interesting um, individual, uh, this particular auditor. Um, she has a perception uh, based on the ballot measure that made her independent that she gets to pick and choose what she will and won't work on. And that, I was going to ask the Charter Review Commission to review that question because I can tell you as an elected leader, I don't get to choose what I work on. Um I get to work on what the people want me to work on. And so her refusal to take the uh, the public finance system into the auditor's office is ludicrous, right? Where else would you put a public finance system other than in an auditor's office? Um, her refusal recently to take the administrative hearings process out of her office because she has removed her consent. Um so I, I'm troubled with her because she is not a collaborator. She's not someone that seeks understanding of issues. Uh, she sees herself as a mandator of behavior and activity um, and, um, and the expert in that. Um, so if the IPR, if I felt the IPR was uh, effective, um, I would, in fact, uh, invest more resources into what we have now. Uh, but what I've seen over the last 14 years is that it wasn't until the Department of Justice came to town that they forced um, IPR to actually investigate all the complaints that came in. Prior to that, their investigation rate was around 40 percent, and they had very ludicrous reasons as to why they didn't investigate. Well, the uh, complainant didn't know the officer's name. Well, is it the community member's job or is it a professional investigator to say, okay, what time of day was this? What part of town were you in, right? Okay, um, did you see a number on the patrol car, right? I mean, uh, it is the investigator's job to figure out what the officer's name is if the plaintiff doesn't have it, right? And to just not get redress because of that, I felt was totally inappropriate. Um, and honestly, most people of color I know They've stopped uh, filing complaints with IPR a long time ago because all they got were rejection letters. We've rejected your complaint for what, uh, basically a form letter saying that they were not going to investigate it further or they, or, or they didn't find a reason to investigate it. Um, so the system itself does not provide the level of comfort that the public should have in holding their police accountable um, when they're involved in inappropriate behavior. So right now, there's about 60 complaints inside IPR around the protest over the last 70 plus days. Um, and we'll all be paying attention to see whether or not the public feels like those complaints have been thoroughly investigated and the appropriate outcomes were had. Um, when I hear the police every single day declare a riot, um, I said to the police chief, I, I just can't imagine what would happen if a real riot happened because you can't declare a riot, a riot every night and somehow expect people to pay attention when a real riot happens. The first night, that first Friday night, there was a riot downtown Portland. There has been no riot at all in any part of the city of Portland since then. And so the police do a disservice to the public where every night they talk about violent protesters. Um, there's way too much video of police chasing 
people down the street and beating them with batons and tear gassing entire neighborhoods for me to stand up and say it's the community that's committing the violence. And so a board like this would actually not just have the police word, but they would have investigators that would look at social media, they would look at live streams, and they would compare information because clearly um, the police are giving us one narrative of what's happening, but in my mind, that's not the whole story of what's happening every single night uh, in the city of Portland. Um, as Speaking specifically uh, from the communities of color, there is a level of fatigue, definitely, when it comes to dealing with police. There's level of fatigue even in the protests. This has been going on for, for months now. Yeah. Um, you spoke to a lot of rejections from the IPR previously. And then there's also that element of things that we kind of chalk up to. It's hot. It's summertime. Things naturally become more violent in our community. Right. What what hope? What would you what 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 did you say to instill hope in what these next mm-hmm. this measure going through? What 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 could we see? What would you put out there and say? This is why this could work. We are at this moment. I think we are at a generational moment where we get to decide what community safety looks like, and that means how we want to be placed, what other first responders we should have, right? Um, because, for example, Portland Street Response uh, went from one pilot that I was able to get funded last year to six pilots because of the reduction in the police budget, right? Uh, we will be rolling out the first one uh, in the fall. Uh, we were stopped by COVID-19, so we didn't roll it out as had planned. So that's been delayed, but the good news is because of the reduction in the police budget, I'm now funded for six. Um, I think once the community starts experiencing a new first responder, so you call 911 and you say somebody's sleeping in the doorway, and all of a sudden you get an EMT and a certified mental health professional. And they come in the wintertime with a hot cup of coffee and uh, some gloves and say, how you doing? You know, uh, do you need some help? Um, Can I connect you to services? Um, but they don't come aggressive. They don't come demanding ID. They don't come wanting to know who you are and what's your name and have you been arrested before and are you on drugs? Uh, they come and they treat you human to human, right? Um, and try to provide assistance where you are. Uh, that's Portland Street Response, right? Uh, we should also think about community mediation centers, right? Uh, many times uh, before something escalates to the point of calling the police, Uh, It could be solved in the community if the community had skills and how to um, address community conflicts. Right. Normally the barking dog, you know, the 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 kid who races the engine uh, going down the street. My dog barking at all the neighbors all the time. Right. Right. I mean, so I mean, in these kind of, you know, little community annoyances. Uh, could be resolved without assuming that you need an armed person to come and mediate the conflict. Um, And so that's the kind of conversation that I want to have over the next 90 days, right? What does community safety look like for you, right? And what what would it mean for you to think that your community is safe regardless of who shows up when you call for help, right? Uh, What would that look like? Uh, before we put Portland Street Response, we had that conversation with houses people. We had it with downtown business owners. We had it with communities of color. And it was absolutely amazing uh, that uh, houses people want just what people with, with roofs want, right? They want 
They want some place to put their stuff. They want to be able to rest. They want, you know, water and coffee. They want to be able to be clean. Um, so there's a lot that we could do uh, that does not require us to have an aggressive law enforcement approach. Um, and I think it's up to the community to decide. In this new environment, what, what does it look like? And again, I invite folks that even think that um, that abolition is going to be the solution. I, I personally don't think we'll get to abolition in my life. And so I say, well, let's hold the ones accountable that we'll have today. And let's reimagine what it is we're working towards. So that's what we're building. And so we're, we're building community uh, police force that truly believes that they protect and serve all of us and not just those who own a business or uh, who are a special interest. And as you said, 90 days, 90 days to have this conversation. And thank you, by the way, we're talking to Commissioner Joanne Hardesty about a range of things, including and very specifically the initiative that's going to be before Portland voters this November. How do you put together a campaign in the context of COVID-19 in 90 days? Yes. Well, I got to tell you, we're already working on it. We're putting the uh, steering committee together as we speak. Uh, we have a volunteer uh, media firm that's going to help us with our marketing and uh, media presence. Uh, we have some really talented, fabulous folks uh, working with the campaign committee. Portland Forward is going to be running the campaign itself. And myself and, and the leaders are going to be raising money to support that ballot measure. Uh, so the good news is I can work on it every day in between my day job and uh, the other stuff that I'm doing. Um, my staff cannot because once it moved from a concept into a ballot measure, no longer can we use city resources to support the ballot measure. We can give um, impartial information on the measure uh, once it has a number, but, uh, but my staff won't be. But me, I am happy. I'm going around talking to organizations. In fact, this is like the fifth time I've talked about the measure today. Um, and there is a lot of excitement. Uh, I was just on the phone with the NAACP Executive Committee, um, and they will be taking a vote tonight. And I'm absolutely positive they will be voting in favor of supporting this measure. So I am talking to a lot of, a lot of groups, um, and, and there seems to be a lot of excitement because most people understand the why, the why now, why the measure, and and how fundamentally different it will be uh, for our community once this measure becomes law in Portland. So, and there's a lot of national folks looking at us because Portland is known for innovation, um, and this one I believe is truly one of the most um, solid, truly independent police oversight committees that will be a model for the rest of the country. This is DJ. I love Ambush. this stuff. I can talk all night about this. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is DJ Ambush of The Numbers. I am here with Jefferson Smith, X-Rays, The Local. Uh, Commissioner Joint Artisty, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been Always amazing. a pleasure. I tell you, we never lack things to talk about, do we? I can't wait till the next time we connect. Have a great evening. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks to Commissioner Hardesty for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and giving your five-star review. Pretty, 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 please. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.